Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Well, it's Matt Kirkner on the Tech Ed Podcast with a great guest this week. We are talking with a performance coach by the name of Jason Goldsmith. He is the founder of an organization that shares his name, Goldsmith Performance. It's going to be a really interesting conversation about how we perform at our absolute peak level. We are so excited to learn from Jason. Jason Goldsmith, thank you so much for being on the Tech Ed Podcast. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. And I have to tell you, you are the first performance coach that we have had on the Tech Ed Podcast. And one of the things that I just always marvel at is the circuitous ways that people find their way into whatever their career or their vocation uh, or their life mission is. So let's start out with this. How does somebody become a performance coach? Tell us about your pathway. Yeah, so it was really interesting in, 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 I guess, in hopes of trying to keep a long story really short. Uh, I had ran a boat company in San Diego for about 17 years, very successfully. And uh, my wife and I had made some good real estate investments. And so I had the opportunity to, to step away from a career that I had been very successful at to pursue something else. And, and at the time, I thought it would be real estate development because I felt like my wife and I had really created some wealth by uh, buying and remodeling houses. And I thought, well, what a great way to, to share this experience with, with other people. And, uh, and through that experience, I learned that a lot of people didn't have the same kind of uh, work ethic and uh, they weren't really in the, uh, the same mode of uh, creating wealth like my wife and I were. So uh, that didn't really pan out. So then I found myself in this, in this kind of no man's land place and uh, quite accidentally, uh, on New Year's Eve, I, I had made this New Year's resolution not to make decisions based in fear. And the very next day, my wife said, you know, have you thought about what you want to maybe think about doing? And, and I said, yeah, you know, I can't figure it out. And she says, well, why don't you do something in golf? You golf every day. And, of course, my answer was, uh, well, I didn't play high school or college golf. Like, like how, how could I have an impact in golf? And of course, she hits me with, uh, sounds like a decision based in fear, if you ask me. So <laughs> so that's how I became a performance coach. Literally, that that's what happened was my, my wife was the one that, that held me accountable to a, a New Year's Eve resolution. And it started me on this path. Fascinating. You had me at boat company. So I'm a lifelong boater. You have to tell me a little bit about what that was. Tell me, what was the company that you owned or ran? Yeah, so uh, I, I was the director of operations for a company called Harbor Excursion while I was there. Now it's called Flagship Tours, and uh, and at the time we had thirteen boats. Okay. And our largest was seven hundred and fifty passenger. Our smallest was twenty seven passenger. We served food on most of the boats. We ran the ferry service between downtown San Diego and Coronado Island. Um, and that's nice. pretty much where I golfed every morning was, was at the Coronado Island Muni golf course. 
And when I say pretty much every morning, like there was one year that I golfed every single day for a year just wow. to see if I could do it. Everybody needs a goal, right? Right. Well, I, you know, it was just, it wasn't even that I was uh, a, a great golfer at the time. It was just more, you know, I love this game. Is there, is there a way that I could dedicate myself to uh, just experiencing as much golf as I possibly could? And so that's, that's kind of how that happened. But I had a, a great boss, learned so much. A guy named George Palermo opened a lot of doors for me in, in San Diego. The uh, the owner of the company is a gentleman named Art Engel, who at the time owned Southwest Marine. So very involved in the uh, the, the boat business in San Diego. And it was, uh, I mean, we did harbor tours, whale watching, dinner cruises. I mean, you name it, we did it. We when the America's cup was there, we'd send America's cup boats out. So it was, it was, it was a great job. All right. So we're going to do a whole episode at some point, just about that, because I have like 18 bazillion different follow-up questions. I, my wife and I, for the first almost year after we were married, lived aboard a, a sailboat uh, in the Midwest. So there's all kinds of stories that flowed out of that. So it could, could have a lot of fun uh, on those conversations. Also a long time America's cup fan as well. So that, that would be interesting too. Uh, I haven't been to San Diego for like a grand total of three weeks. I was just there for FANUC, the big robotics and automation company had their annual integrators conference in San Diego. And I was looking out at Coronado Island and just a, just a beautiful area. So I could see where that would, uh, that would inspire um, performance and living life to its fullest. And that's what we want to get into now. And you're in your role. It's a performance coach, Jason, Tell us a little bit about the the types of people that you work with. Are these all primarily athletes, or, or who do you who do you get to engage with? Yeah, I, I would say it started with athletes, mostly professional athletes. I would say eighty percent of my time is spent working with professional athletes, but I do coach, you know, nine year olds that that want to, you know, they want to grow up and be a professional golfer. They at least they think that's what they want to do at nine years old. And now I, I probably spend 10% of the time working with executives and things other than golf. I would say typically golf is involved, meaning that they are golfers, but, but we spend a great deal of our time just talking about things other than golf. I mean, golf is a great metaphor for, for performance. And then in the category of professional athlete, I do coach professional soccer players and baseball players and football players. I mean, basically tennis, you name it. But but I would say most well known for coaching golfers. I've had the most success. I would say in in golf. Got it. Any names you can drop now of people that that our listeners might recognize that you've had the pleasure of working with? Sure. So I, I started the journey with Henrik Stenson. Um, so, so that's a you know probably very famous golfer for a lot of European golfers many Ryder Cups. And then I also work with Mike Weir, Canadian, you know, first Canadian to win a, a major. Uh, he won the Masters years ago, but then uh, helped Jason Day and Justin Rose get to world number one. Wow. And I still currently work with both of those athletes today. Fantastic. I am fascinated by the whole idea of performance and have been a student of it for, you know, really decades. I mean, going back to getting hooked on things like Tony Robbins and Napoleon Hill and Norman Vincent Peale and, you know, those folks, you know, literally 30 years ago and and so much of what I've learned and what's guided the way that I've gone about life was was learned from, you know, various principles that I gleaned out of out of reading their books and hearing them speak and, and all that other kind of stuff. So I'm asking you a little bit of a loaded question, I think, but tell us a little bit about how much a performance is about what's going on in our head 
as opposed to maybe natural skill and ability? And, and how does that break down? I, I think the best way to answer that would be that everything happens in our head first. So, so even sensory perception of our body is, is recognized in our heads. Like there, you know, there's a place most people would say somewhere behind their eyes where all experience happens. You know, so to me, if, if we look at the brain in the simplest terms, its primary objective is to perceive the environment and then make a determination, you know, is the environment nurturing or threatening, you know, or, or neutral, but, but mostly that's what it's doing. So you know, to me, that's where you have to start. And that's where performance starts is being aware of that toggle, which is happening in your amygdala you know, are you perceiving this to be a threat, you know, or are you perceiving this to be an opportunity? And, uh, and, and most people, and I, and I don't think it's the individual's fault so much as coaches and instructors don't spend enough time figuring out how the athlete or individual learns best. And just by the way they communicate, they get people to be more in their heads than they actually should be. And I think that that's where most problems come from is people just are in their heads and they're, they're feeling threatened. They're trying to solve a problem. And the reality is, is there, there isn't a problem. They're just experiencing what they're meant to experience and, and learn from. And if they were just able to stay the course and continue, then they would learn the lesson and, and from experience, be able to move on and get through it. It's fascinating that you bring it up and put it that way. You know, when people say, well, you know, what's the key to leadership? One of the things that I always like to talk about is that it really depends on who you're trying to lead and, and, and how they think and what's important to them and what their priorities are. And, and what I'm hearing from you when it comes to performance coaching is that sounds like it's almost the same first step, right? It's not every necessarily every strategy or every tactic is going to work for every individual. You've got to kind of meet them where they are. Am I understanding that right? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, to me, I think that that's a, a huge mistake to think that everybody's going to react the same way to any situation. So, you know, a, as a coach, I think the, the most important thing you can do is get to know the individual that you're coaching and, and develop that, that bond of trust so that they understand you have their best intentions at heart, but you also know how to communicate with them, you know, to, to, to make sure that they can be vulnerable enough to communicate back to you what's working and not what's not working. So we have to understand the individual. We have to learn to build trust with them and actually build that genuine trust. And, and it's at that point that we can start communicating with them as we build them toward this word that I saw quite often as I was doing a little bit of research on your work, Jason, the word called mastery. And, and I saw that coming up again and again, or at least Frequently, when you look at human performance, whether it's athletically, whether it's academically, whether it's professionally, how do you determine or how do you define that word mastery? You know, to me, mastery is an aspirational journey. So I, it's it's a, a destination on a horizon that may or may not ever be achieved, but it's that that drive, you know, people want to say grit or perseverance or whatever it is to just continue to want to grow and get better. And it's, it's so important that once you, you know, set forth on that path that you stay on the path. And, and I really feel like that's what a good coach does is a, a good coach will sit down with the individual, 
get to know the person, develop that level of trust, but then figure out, okay, what is, what is this person's primary purpose? Like, well, you know, what, what's their meaning for being here? You know, and then you figure out what those aspirational goals are and then you set a course. And, 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 and I really feel like as long as you stay on that course, then you're on your journey towards mastery. Got it. And so it is, am I right in saying, and it, maybe it's a little bit of an analogy toward, toward life or anything else, but it, it kind of feels like it's really more about the journey than necessarily the destination. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, because I feel like the destination's out of your control. So, so most of the times with, with the clients that I work with, you know, outside of athletic sports, even executives, we really want to focus on the things that are in our control and, uh, you know, staying on the path, having a good attitude, you know, being mindful, you know, being aware, all of those things are being disciplined. All those things are in your control. You know, the outcome of the situation, whether you get the contract, win the win the match, whatever it is, those things are out of your control, but it still doesn't take you off the path of mastery. So, you know, one of the, one of my mantras in life is it's not necessarily what happens to you in life. It's what you do about it. And, um, you know, we're all going to be faced with certain obstacles or challenges or what have you. And it's how we think about those obstacles and then what we do about them that, that really creates the difference. And that probably in your, your world of professional coaching probably sounds a little blase or simplistic, but it really is kind of the way that I, I tend to look at life, but you know, is that part of it? And then going a little bit deeper, you know, what, what is the secret if I'm beginning this journey toward mastery. I'm trying to figure out whether I'm an athlete or a business person or a student or whatever, whatever, who's spending too much time in my head and and not really uh, focusing on the things that I need to be focusing on. And, and that's all blocking my performance. How do you go about identifying what those things are and then, and then coaching somebody toward getting over them or at least improving on them? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it goes back to what you know, we talked about earlier in the very first stage of, of getting to know the person who's who's sitting in front of you. And if you're an active listener and you pay attention, you really hear the story that they're telling about themselves. And typically the story is going to reveal what their beliefs are. And a lot of times people have self-limiting beliefs and they're holding on to stuff that's keeping them from achieving the things that they want to achieve. So, you know, part of it is just making them aware that the story that they tell themselves, the thing they spend the most time thinking about, if it's not moving them in the right direction, you know, then that's really where we need to start. And, and, and once we're able to kind of lift the veil up on, you know, just because, <laughs> you've thought this or believed this for a long time doesn't mean it's reality or true is, is typically a pretty mind, you know, an eye opening experience for them. So, you know, that, that's where we like to start is, is, you know, where are you right now? What are the, you know, what's the current belief system and is it useful? Is, is there something we can do to modify it? And then, and then, okay, we'll, we'll start there. And then what's the next step? What's the next step? Give me a sense when you say somebody's telling themselves a story that maybe isn't true or that, you know, that is hindering performance. What's an example of something like that? So uh, let's just say coaching a college level golfer and uh, and you're asking them about their game and they're saying, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm really good at driving the ball and, you know, I'm the best in the team at approach play. And, you know, when I'm out of the bunker, I really see the shot. 
And if I could just putt, you know, if, you know, it seems like every time, you know, I'm on the green, I'm three putting or, you know, all everybody's ever said is, you know, right away you see, okay, so there's, they, they believe right or wrong, but their belief is, is that if, if they could putt, then they'd be able to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. So I, I know that's just a, a, a quick example, but so that's where we would start is say, okay, well, so, you know, when we listen to your story, you, your belief is that if we can work on your putting and you can change your story or change your belief around putting, that you'd be able to achieve the things that, you know, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. If I can only learn to putt. And so then you have to go back to putting and say, okay, what about putting? You know, and just like everything else, you know, there's, you know, the mechanics of the stroke. There's, you know, can you start your putt online? Can you control speed? Are you a good green reader? You know, all the things that go into being efficient at putting. And then you start to whittle away at those things. And obviously over time, you can work on, you know, them because they'll, they'll work on stuff and then they'll, they'll go to a tournament and they'll go, oh, see, I, I went to, and I did all these things well, but my putting still... And you're like, yeah, I, I get it. But, you know, that self-talk about the putting being negative, the, the way that you still talk about your golf to everybody else, it's the story that is not helping us, you know, move forward and move through it. So it, it does take a little bit of time, I would say, in most cases to get people to really understand how powerful they're personal story is about whatever it is they want to do and and then you get them to start to change the story and then they start to have some results and then it becomes self-fulfilling and then you know obviously we go okay now putting's good now you know is there another aspect of the game that we can shine this light on and then we just keep building so you say you say get them to change the story easier said than done i would imagine a lot of times so tell what are some of the strategies or, or, or approaches that you use to somebody's repeating the story over and over in their head i'm bad at this or i have a challenge here and then you know what we believe ends up being the result how do you change that paradigm in somebody's head well so it's really about mindset so you know part of the problem is is we get stuck in this in this mindset of problem identification so you know, at some point, this person had a coach, you know, could have been one of their parents or whatever. But, you know, somebody said to them, hey, Billy, if you could just putt, man, you know, and so now they have this belief, man, putting's a problem. How do I fix this, this problem called putting? Well, the issue is, is that they haven't really thought about any other aspect of their game. So now their, you know, intellect is involved in solving this problem that, quite honestly, the intellect has no idea how to put the ball in the first place. Right. So then, you know, they're, they're kind of in this, this double bind because they created this problem. They believe it's a problem. They tell everybody about the problem and then they're stuck because they don't know how to fix the problem. And then every time they hit a putt, all they do is identify more problems. So it's really about identifying the problem mindset and saying, okay, now you're aware that you've been living in this problem mindset we need to we need to change that mindset. We need to get you into a mindset where you start to see the things that you're doing well. So one of the things that I'll do is say, okay, before you can say anything negative, you have to say two or three positive things about what you just did. And what starts to happen over time is they realize, wow, you know, I actually did 10 really good things. I just didn't hit the ball hard enough. Like had I done those 10 really good things and just hit it a little bit harder, it would have went in the hole rather than you know, just constantly focusing on the fact that, 
gosh, I'm terrible butter. It's like, no, no, there are all these things that go into to making a putt dynamically that you have to be, you know, efficient at to be able to be a good putter. And then once you become a good putter, it's realizing, you know, the difference between a good putter and a great putter is just the belief system that, oh, there's a 40 foot putt. I can make that putt. Like, you know, Jason is, you know, one of the best putters in the history of the game. And when he looks at a putt, he's looking at it from a standpoint of, wow, I could make this. And, and regardless of where he is, and, and the greatest thing is, is even if it doesn't go in, sure. he doesn't go to the next putt with a different mindset, right? He's like, hmm. wow, I thought that was going to go in. I can't believe that putt didn't go in. You know, that's, that's his approach. And that's why he's a great putter. Well, and it's fascinating when you start to think about reordering in your brain, focusing on the positive rather than the negative. You know, as somebody, I don't know where I picked this up, but somebody said one time, whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. And it's like, well, I mean, it's impossible not to think about a pink elephant if somebody says that, right? So I'm not supposed to think about that. And in the same way, if my brain is immediately jumping to, here's here are the five things that I screwed up the last time I did whatever, that's the paradigm we're building for ourselves rather than saying, let's forget about that for now. Let's talk about what went, what went right and build on it. And it totally changes your way of looking at, the, at things. And if I'm understanding you right, really has a, a huge influence on performance. Is that is that right? Yeah, there's this quote. And I right or wrongly attribute it to Einstein, which is you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. Hmm. Yeah. And it's so fitting, right? Because, you know, you played this game called golf that you loved and, and, you know, obviously you're, you're pretty good at it. And so you're playing this game and then all of a sudden somebody says, there's this problem called putting and you create this problem in your mind. And now all your mind sees is the problems around putting where it didn't exist before somebody introduced that thought. And it could have just been, you know, one isolated day that you didn't put well. But as soon as you buy into it and believe in it, you get stuck in this, you know, problem identification judgment mindset. And all you see are more problems. Yep, absolutely. I, I remember, and I never played baseball at a very high level, but I played a lot of baseball and softball when I was growing up. And I had, for whatever reason, just a disaster of a game one time when I was pitching. It just could not find the strike zone, period. And for like the next two seasons, every time I thought about playing baseball, I thought about that moment. And it's like your mind immediately goes to that worst case. And it's almost impossible then to kind of break that process. So really interesting in the way that you're talking about doing this, especially as it relates to to sports and to golf. But um, not the only areas in which the way that we think about what we're doing and the way that we think about performance is important. As you can imagine, here on the Tech Ed Podcast, we have a number of listeners that are uh, lots of students. So we get a lot of got a, a lot of students that tune in. We have uh, their teachers sometimes play episodes when they're in the classroom. Lots of educators, and then a lot of industrial employers and people that kind of come out of industry, given the work that we do here. So. When we think about performance, let's say in the classroom, so academically, whether that's a, a high school student, a middle school student, a you know somebody who's doing post secondary work at a technical college or a university, or whether that is a business executive or a mid level leader in a business of some sort, do we think about performance the same way? And do you find the same limitations in areas like academia and business that stand in front of people in the same fashion that they do in the in the sport of golf or elsewhere? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's just, you know, a, a labeling of the sport, right? So if if you love law and you're an attorney, your sport is law. So, you know, performance, in my opinion, is whatever it is that you've decided that you want to do. 
and you, you know, want to aspire to be great at that becomes your sport and you, you play at that thing or, or hopefully you play at that thing. Like you've devoted enough time to it that you can let go of all the things that you learned in the classroom and actually, you know, play or perform at a, at a high level without having to, to think about the next steps. Right. And, and so in that regard, I think that academics and business and sports are, are very closely connected. And, and I think that's why I see so many business people that really enjoy the game of golf because they're, they're really very similar and, you know, in, in difficulty as well. How, and what parallels would you draw? You've mentioned that a couple of times that golf kind of emulates life or business life and, and maybe vice versa. Can you help us understand that a little bit better. Sure. I mean, I just, I, I think there's so many opportunities to struggle in both. Right. And, and, and so <laughs> for sure. Right. So, you know, something doesn't go well at work. Uh, you know, you hit a bad shot. It's so easy for you or, you know, anybody to start to time travel is, is what I, what I call it, right. They're either in the future and they're, you know, they're, they're creating this anxiety about a future shot or they're in the past thinking about the last time they had the shot. And it's really no different in the classroom or, you know, in a, in a business setting boardroom, you know, something doesn't go well, you have an unwanted outcome and you find yourself in your head in baseball, the term is domed, right? So you're doming yourself. You're in, you're in your head. And, and rather than performing, you're thinking about how to perform or you're thinking about the consequences of your performance. And, uh, and, th and that's going to limit you that you're, you're not going to be your most athletic self. You're not going to be your most creative self. Um, you're not going to lead as well as you could if you're in your head thinking about, you know, future outcomes that are out of your control or, or past failures that for sure are out of your control too, because they've already happened. You can't go back and rewind it. So another one of my favorite mantras is that today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. And we, we spend so much time, you know, projecting ourselves into the future and worrying about what could happen either consciously or, or subconsciously. And, and then we end up in some cases manifesting that worst case scenario, just by the way that we thought about it or, you get to the next day and it's like, wow, I, what was I worried about? And, you know, this day is going to take care of itself and we're going to figure out, figure out tomorrow when we, uh, when we get there, as long as we work on the right micro steps and we keep focused on what's important, the, the rest of it seems to, to manage to take care of itself uh, in the future. So really fascinating discussion around that aspect of performance. So when we think about, you know, this, this whole perspective of time and the whole idea of what we're doing today and what we're doing tomorrow, and, and when you think about performance coaching, Jason, and getting somebody performing at their at their absolute best, is that something that people figure out once? Do they learn how to do it once and, and then you kind of got to figure out and you just run with it? Or is it something that you just have to keep coming back to time and time again? Do you find people drifting and you need to kind of coach them back to where they need to be? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it could be a light switch moment, you know, because most of my coaching revolves around awareness. And, and understanding that, you know, we're going to have 30,000 thoughts today or, 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 or more. And so for, for athletes and, uh, and executives, it's, it's easy to, if you're not practicing on a daily basis, either through some kind of mindfulness or meditation regimen, that, that it's easy to, to fall back into old habits. 
of letting your mind attach, you know, so something comes, you know, you have some thought and you go, Oh, well, that's a problem. I really need to fix that. Right. And then the next thing, you know, 10 minutes go by and you're, you know, you're in your head about this fantasy problem that may or might not ever happen. And the same thing happens in sports. So, you know, is it possible that, that people really kind of buy in and, and then they're disciplined enough and hold themselves accountable enough that once they become aware, they can stay on the path? The answer is absolutely yes. So how do you go about it? What's the practice of, you know, mindfulness or meditation? What is that individual actually engaging in? How do you train them to do that? Help, help us understand that. The simplest way of, of thinking about it is just having a, a daily practice that each and every day you're going to spend you know, maybe in the beginning, five minutes of, of just being still with yourself, uh, either in prayer or, or in some kind of mindfulness meditation, re, you know, whatever it ends up being, whatever the modality is. And, uh, and then slowly building up to, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. But the idea is to have this clarity of, of space. So knowing what it feels like to be still. And, and knowing what it feels like to have that clarity of mind and having that be useful later in the day when things start to get, you know, busy in their mind, you know, their awareness becomes busy, meaning it's, it's all over the place. You know, they're very active minded, but being able to, to, to catch themselves when they're in that, that place and go, hold on a second, like that, that's not when I'm my most productive self. What did it feel like this morning when I was just sitting and being still? maybe taking a few conscious breaths. I mean, breath by far is the simplest way to get your physiology back to being still. So they take a couple conscious breaths, they get themselves back to where they're, you know, not reacting to everything and being way more responsive. And, uh, and, and typically they perform at a, at a much higher level when they're back in that place. It's fascinating. And then you mentioned, um, I think earlier about just the story they're telling themselves in their brain. And, you know, one, another one of my mantras is that, you know, you're subconscious or you really can't, you can't discern between a, an event that's imagined or one that actually happened in some cases that an imagination can be as vivid and as impactful, even if it never happened or wasn't true on the way that you perform, the way that you go about life. I guess question number one is, do you agree? And 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 number two, if that's the case, how do you work with individuals then to kind of change that that mental story that they're telling themselves? Yeah, so I do agree with it. I think it's it's very well documented and they've done many studies on the power of visualization and 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 it's a tool that we use with the executive clients as, as well as the uh, athletes where they're they're visualizing themselves performing. And like you said, a future memory of that past visualization is they're just going to remember the performance. They're not going to remember, was I imagining this or did I actually do it when they recall it? They're just going to recall it as an accept, you know, a successful attempt at whatever that was they were trying to do. Or maybe they just recall even the sensation or feeling in their body that they had when they were doing it, which is just as relevant and important. So to me, a lot of the time that we spend coaching, especially in the evenings with clients, is based around visualization. Because if they, if they can have 10 or 15 minute visualization before they drift off to sleep, their, their non-conscious subconscious mind is, is, 
is onboarding all that, filing it away so that if they're in a similar environment and they're experiencing something similar, they're, they're again, going to react, respond to it in a much less reactionary way. Fascinating. I, I read an article, it was just this week in the Wall Street Journal about individuals who try to influence their own dreams and come up with these processes right before they doze off to sleep of, of kind of setting their brain up to solve a problem, to have a certain experience. And I think it said it was like only, you know, five or 10% of people can actually create a dream for themselves. But but some of the stories were absolutely fascinating about the influence that we can have just by, you know, just doing some of that visualization and experiencing something right before we uh, we go to sleep and c- coming back to creating those positive experiences in a way that that help us to to cope with whatever comes at us in life and to to perform at the highest possible level. You've been doing this a long time. Obviously, you're you're very very effective. Is there a specific story, Jason, that that you can share with our audience about you know somebody that was facing a challenge, whether it was athletically or otherwise, and and you coached them from where they started and then where they ended up? Is you know, can you kind of walk us through um, that success story? You know, it's it's absolutely amazing what what some people in the book. I'll tell you a story. So we have this baseball pitcher that basically gets released from a major league organization and says he can't be can't be trained he's not trainable what we find out is that he is uh, very visual but he's not an auditory learner and so when he when he comes to us it's very difficult for the other coaches to coach him because he just he has this block up against uh, learning um, from hearing. And uh, I, you know, he, he's Spanish speaking, so maybe that was some of it. And English is his second language. And but anyway, once we found out that he was visual, it was amazing how he transformed from being this this person that had no confidence to being this person that had you know this abundance of confidence, and and he couldn't wait to show the world what he could do. And then when people would ask him questions. What, what he learned to do is, is, you know, see it as a picture and then relate it back to them as a picture. So then he like described the picture of the solution that he saw. So he came up with this, you know, this whole workaround. And then he had an accident where he lost vision in one eye. So then he thinks his career's over and he comes to us and he says, you know, I think I got to give up baseball because I, I can't see. And, and I said, okay, well that, that might be the case, but what if you could? And so, uh, and so he ends up coming back and being a better pitcher with one eye than, than with, with both eyes. And, and he's still, he's still playing baseball to this day. So, you know, to me, it's those kinds of things where you, you know, you, you really challenge people's beliefs and despite the hurdle, like, you know, you would think, okay, that's the point. Like we should just give up, like pack it in. Right. He can't, right. he can't see anymore. He can't, doesn't have depth perception. You know, how can you throw the ball, you know, 96 miles an hour and not be able to, right. you know, to, to discern, you know, the depth, perception. you know, but if you really look at it and you go, right. well, hold on a second, yeah. well, what if it's possible? And, and you just look, look at it from the opposite viewpoint, you know, and then you, well, let's just see, let's just, let's just, you know, let's just see what happens and you can surprise yourself. So there are 50 stories like that, you know? So it's like, you know, when you think about things like that, it's just, 
it it really is like I, I have this self-affirmation that I say every day. So you know you have your mind. Mine is in serving others, I serve myself. And I just really feel like I've I've fallen into my life's purpose, which is to to help people overcome hurdles and realize their true potential. I love that. I, you know, I have another one and there's a whole stack of them, of course, but one of them is, it's a more of a prayer than anything else, but it's used me to help change other people's lives, which is kind of the, kind of the same thing. And that's uh, to wake up every day and have that kind of a mindset and that kind of an approach to the work that you're doing. It's absolutely fascinating. What a great story of perseverance of that, that picture that you just, that story that you told, it reminded me as you were going through it, I interviewed a gentleman within the last week or so for one of the businesses, not the podcast, but something else that we're involved with. And one of the questions I like to ask people is how do you go about learning a new skill or learning something that's particularly complex? And you get some really interesting answers. And his answer was, he said, I learned really early on that I have to learn by doing. He said, and and it resonated with me because I was always the same way. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. I could sit in a classroom and listen to a teacher for eight hours or whatever it was, and and none of it stuck, right? But then if I went and did it myself or had a you know a hands-on kinesthetic experience, that's how I learn. It still is. And and so kind of understanding and meeting somebody where they are, kind of where we started, and, and understanding that somebody's got a a specific learning method or a combination of learning methods that's going to work best for them. And then in this particular case, somebody who, you know, you're trying to teach him, not you specifically, but we're trying to teach him by speaking to him and he's not an auditory learner. And then we're like, why isn't it sinking in? Well, it's because it's not the way that that he learns. He's visual. He's got to he's got to be approached in in that modality and really understanding those types of nuances when we're when we're coaching anybody and coaching them the way they need to be coached again to go back to where we started, as opposed to the way that we feel like they need to be coached is is so very important. So that was just a just a great story. You mentioned in that answer, the book. Let's talk about the book. You authored the book, Take Charge of You, uh, with former Yum Brands CEO, David Novak, by the way. Would love to hear a little bit more about the book. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I was able to meet David seven years or so. And, and this is a, for instance, where we started uh, uh, just as a coach and, and athlete around golf and over the years david and i started spending a lot of time together and uh and david's one of his passions is leadership and he's probably most recognized for recognition and uh, and he's written several books about recognition and the power of taking people with you and things like that so we had kind of toyed around with this idea of writing a book together and so we decided that we wanted to write this book about self-coaching and that's really what take charge of you is about is is it's really difficult to find a coach that is as good of a coach as you could be to yourself if you learn the tools that david and i lay out in the book and so that that was really the premise is is there aren't enough great coaches in the world to go around and so why not get a a, a couple of of really good coaches together have them give you their life experience as to as to how they coach people and then give you a set of tools so that you can learn to coach yourself. It'd be the next best thing. And so that's what we did and, and wrote this book and we're really happy with it. So those tools that you mentioned, and I'm sure we've talked about a number of them already, are there some that have come up where you you have these you know, world-renowned performance coaches that are saying, here's my methodology, here's my approach to coaching whomever it is that's in front of me at the moment. What are some other tools that that somebody would use when coaching themselves? 
Well, I think it's just really, you know, the, the first tool that we talked about, which is getting to know yourself. I, I don't think enough people sit down and figure out who they are, what they really want, you know? And so, so that's, that's probably the biggest mistake is, is they, they haven't spent enough time figuring out what their purpose is, you know? And, and when you ask people, you know, I'd say more often than not, most people can't give you a pretty concise answer. Like I feel like if, if somebody was to ask you or I, you know, wouldn't <laughs> we could probably tell you in 15 seconds, right? But, but for most people, they'd really struggle with that. So to me, I think that's fundamentally the, the problem that needs to get solved is, is, is people need to understand where they are, who they are, and, and what they want. And, uh, and, I, and I think so many people don't, don't know that. So it's, it's hard to get started. It's like uh, getting in your car and turning on your GPS and wondering why you're not getting to where you want to go. Well, yeah, you haven't programmed in a destination. So it's really hard right. to where you want to go. One of my mentors often said, if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you got there? And right. uh, that's, that's just always, always stuck with me. And certainly, you know, life goals and, and as maybe as you go on through life and get a little bit older, some of that changes a little bit uh, for the better, probably, but certainly always having an idea of where it is that you're trying to get to and, and life throws surprises at you and it doesn't always work out exactly the way that you expect that it will. But, but at least having that goal to work on keeps people so much more centered, so much more focused and, and quite honestly, if whatever that goal is, if you haven't defined it, you have zero chance of, of reaching it. So you might as well decide what you want the future to look like and do your best to to create that future for yourself. Our guest on the Tech Ed podcast is Jason Goldsmith. He's a performance coach and the founder of Goldsmith Performance. We had such a fascinating conversation, Jason, and I guarantee you as our audience is listening to this discussion, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, how do I learn more about this? How do I find Jason? Uh, how do I get a hold of the book? Uh, you know, how do I engage? So, so if individuals are interested in learning more, or you know, finding their way into your orbit, how do they do it? Yeah, so I, I have a website which is Goldsmith Performance for the people that are looking for coaching from me specifically. Uh, obviously, the book is available on Amazon. So, if you're you know looking to figure out a way to to self coach yourself, then Take Charge of You is is the way to go. And, and again, you can find that on Amazon. Uh, we just just a ton of great advice you've given us today, Jason, and a, and a fascinating conversation. One last question on that topic of advice, and let's turn the clock back a little bit. You know, as a performance coach, you're spending a lot of time advising others. But if you could travel back in time and meet the 15-year-old Jason Goldsmith and give advice to him, what advice would that be? I'd probably give him the advice that everything's going to turn out, right? It's I, I think at 15, I'm dyslexic. So, uh, so high school was really difficult for me. Luckily I was involved in sports. And so I, I had a little bit of self-confidence from, from sports, but in the classroom, I, I didn't have much confidence at all. So everybody has ups and downs and challenges in life. And, and a lot of times it's your restraints that build the character that you become. So, so even though you're, you're really struggling, you know, it, it's going to turn out all right. I'm really glad you you shared that story with our audience because because that's exactly right. It is going to turn out okay. Stay focused on the right things and and have that perseverance and that faith that the world is going to come to you in a way that eventually it's all going to make sense and we're going to look back and and understand why it all happened and and it's made us better and stronger. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Matt. I really do appreciate our conversation. If I can 
ever have a chance to, to get on again, just uh, just drop me a line. Be happy to do it in the future. And I guarantee you that will happen. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you liked this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.